Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing, more than a feeling. To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save Your life To be powered by love Hello and welcome to some sacred wit I'm Pastor Nathan Pastor at Elk River Lutheran Church I'm Lisa Sampson, Director of Children, Youth, and Family Ministry. Jeremy Halkus, Minister of Congregational Care and Discipleship. And I'm Taylor Quinn, the Director of Music and Worship. Yes, and we are continuing our journey into the life of David with the theme tonight, Man on the Run. Man on the Run, which is from the great Paul McCartney song, kind of, uh, which for my whole life I've thought the words (laughs) were Man on the Run. And as we started getting ready for uh, this episode started looking up taylor's like what song did you want it to be and i said well it's man on the run it's a well-known song and i started searching for it turns out the song is called band Band on on the run Run. uh but it really sounds like man on the run it does right um and so uh some of you will be familiar with that song uh band on the run and so the man on the run that we're talking about tonight is david where uh as we'll read here in a little bit uh saul is after him once again uh, and so he flees this time saul's tried to kill him once tries to kill him again his friend jonathan helps him escape and so he's on the run and but in a sense i mean he is a musician and he does gather a band of followers to journey with him so band on the run man on the run it's all good it all fits right Uh, and so uh today here we're going to be covering uh, a number of chapters from first samuel uh kind of chapters where do we start it's like 21 up through 24 ish kind of uh is that range and so we're going to start by just a real kind of summarized reader's theater that takes you through some of the high points those stories that we're going to be going more in depth in tonight so And now, ladies and gentlemen, ERLC Readers Theater. Tonight, we'll be listening to an adaptation of 1 Samuel, chapter 20 to 24. When we last left David, he was saying a tearful goodbye since Jonathan's father, King Saul, was trying to kill him. The story continues with David going to the chief priest of Nob to obtain holy bread, which he receives. David also asks for something else. Is there no spear or sword here with you? I did not bring my sword or my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. The high priest answered, Ah, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here and wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you take it, take it, for there is none here except that one. And so David replied, There is none like it. Give it to me. Saul heard that David and those who were with him had been located. And so Saul said to his servants, Hear now, you Benjaminites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? 
Is that why all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a league with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up in my servant against me to lie in wait as he is doing today. Doug, the Edomite, who was there when David was with the priests at Nob, told King Saul what he had seen. Saul sent for the priests to be questioned. Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, by giving him bread and a sword, and by inquiring of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as he is doing today? Even though the priests tried to reassure King Saul of David's faithfulness, Saul was not hearing it. He turned to his guards and ordered the priests killed. But the servants of the king, who did not raise their hand to attack the priests of the Lord, so the king turned to Doug the Edomite and demanded, you, Doug, turn and attack the priests. And Doug did just that. He attacked all in Nob, even women, children, and the animals, all killed except for one of the priest's sons who escaped and fled with David. David heard the story and vowed to keep him safe. King Saul now took 3,000 men to look for David, and they happened upon a cave in which Saul went into in order to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. The men said to David, Men, 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 hey, let's gather around. I, we are all on the same page about this. Let's tell David. David, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Now, did you think David would sneak up and kill Saul? Yeah. No. David stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's cloak, and he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to raise my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. Then Saul got up, left the cave, and went on his way. Shortly after, David followed him out of the cave and showed him the cut-off cloak and said to Saul, See, my father, see the corner of your cloak in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your cloak and did not kill you, you may know for certain that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you are hunting me to take my life. When David finished speaking these words, Saul cried, Is this your voice, my son David? Today you have dealt well with me when the Lord put me into your hands. Now I know that you surely shall be king. Swear to me by the Lord that you will not wipe out my name or my descendants after me. And David swore to this and Saul, and went home. And David and his men went up to the stronghold, the cave and the mountain. <clears throat> this has been ERLC Readers Theater. Classy sound effects. You are class. You're a classy pastor. Yeah, we're getting high quality here. It's part of the story. It's in there. <laughs> when it's great that we pick up this story uh, right from kind of the outset of Paul's or Saul's beginning to try to run after David and kill him. Um, and so today we have this kind of interesting text I want to wrestle with as we begin to think about how Jonathan fits into the story and. Um, King Saul's decline and David's ascendancy. Um, so we've kind of got this beautiful text from 1 Samuel 20, 1 and 2. 
Dave, uh, David fled from Naoth to Ramah. He came before Jonathan and said, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin against your father that he is trying to take my life? He, Jonathan, said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. My father does nothing either my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me and why should my father hide this from me never yeah so as you're hearing that text i kind of want to unpack with you guys do you really think that david had no clue what was happening it would seem that since saul had already tried to kill him once <laughs> that he would be a little suspicious right you kind of think right yeah i i don't think he's that dance i mean <laughs> well he could be i mean that's kind of the uniqueness of the story i mean david you know has this great line what have i done what is my guilt and what is my sin against your father that he's trying to take my life like we're at the point that david um is kind of killed goliath he's run off and he's done his thing and saul is getting jealous along the way about this this guy who killed thousands while i only killed you know a thousand kind of a thing um, there's this jealousy thing that's happening there. And on the one hand, that is valid. I mean, David, is, is this valid that he would ask, like, well, I, what have I done? I haven't done anything wrong. Because in that sense, he's right. Mm -hmm. What he's done is not wrong. But it's maybe not surprising that the king would be jealous of him, kind of like you're right. saying. It sounds a little bit like siblings arguing about, what, what, did, I, what did I do? Right. You know? Yeah, wasn't me, right? That wasn't often me. happens. Yeah. I didn't do anything. I didn't do it. <clears throat> I hear that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and rarely am I convinced. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting that David becomes so fearful of his life that he begins to just run away from King Saul. Um, and in fact, this exchange that's happening in this uh, chunk of text is David wants to skip out on the family festival dinner um, in order to kind of make sure that he wasn't in the same space as Saul. Mm. Um, and so he goes to Jonathan and says, hey, you know, I know this is your dad's intent, but get me out of this place. And Jonathan kind of hems and haws, um, and they go back and forth about um, really what what would I say to my dad and what is my dad's actual intent. So Jonathan really has no clue that Saul is out to get him, that he's out to get David. And so we're kind of left with this kind of interesting story of intrigue and who knows what and why do these things begin to flow together. Um, and so at the meal, Jonathan confronts Saul about his intention, and Saul very clearly says that, eh, I'm going to kill David. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's sort of matter of fact. Um, and then Jonathan meets in secret with David, um, and we have this kind of unique telling of this story. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David, and with him was a little boy. He said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is the arrow not behind you, beyond you? Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not linger. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the arrangement. Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said to him, Go and carry them into the city. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He bowed three times, and they kissed each other and wept with each other. David wept the more. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since both of us have sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, 
and between my descendants and your descendants forever. He got up and left, and Jonathan went into the city. So it continues this kind of secret code between Jonathan and David um, that we launch the the arrow out to sort of get the message that this is what's going on. Um, It seems a little bit funny to have this piece of text of how they Mm -hmm. arranged their meeting. Um, It kind of leaves you wondering, like, what's their intent in action here? Um, But nonetheless, Jonathan fires the arrow past the boy, and he goes and retrieves it, and then sends him away quickly so that he and and David could meet um, in secret while David is still hiding. Um, And it's kind of funny that this reminder begins with David weeping, coming to Jonathan's feet and sort of crying out loud. Um, And Jonathan says to David, you know, go in peace because we have a covenant, nothing will come between us. Um, And sort of saying to David, regardless of what my dad does, I'm still with you, that we are bonded together. The very beginning of Jonathan's encounter with David begins with a covenant and friendship binding soul to soul. And we end it with this piece of him sort of saying, no, trust that that covenant will stand, even my dad. Um, And so it becomes that promise that they're together in this and that he'll be aware of what his dad's actions are. I'm really intrigued with the detail of that story because it seems almost unnecessary, all those little mm-hmm. details. And the first time I read this a few years ago, I, I kept reading it over going, what, what, why? Mm-hmm. And so I just yeah. think that's really interesting that that's in there. I also can relate to David. I've been thinking about why I've, why is it that I've really relate to David? And I actually, going back to this question, I wonder if David really knew of Saul's intention. Um, I'm still not convinced, or like in my mind, I feel like David seriously doesn't know why Saul wants to kill him. And I, I, I feel like I can relate to that. I feel like uh, as I was growing up, as I was becoming an adult, there were often times where I would be either yelled at or disciplined, and I didn't know why. And and it, it's kind of it's a frustrating moment to be in where you're being you're you're in trouble but you don't know what you're in trouble for, and it's hmm. awfully confusing, really confusing, and um, yeah, that's just really striking me right now. Like it makes sense why David, um, uh, when he approaches Jonathan, is just weeping and distraught because. Why is this man that I call father coming against me? What have I done wrong? Right. And maybe you guys have made that clear, but I'm still not getting... I can totally understand where David's coming from. Right. And it becomes a conversation about jealousy more than anything, right? Saul is very jealous of David's successes, but I find it so fascinating that they don't sit down and talk about it. Yeah. There's no you know, coming to the meeting of minds to say, hey, this is going on and we got to cut this out. Right. You know, they're just, it, it, it devolves into this explosive um, murder and death and destruction. I mean, this thing goes quite far based on not being willing to have conversation with each other. Yeah. Well, in the year BC, you know, people didn't know how to healthily relate. Right. Like they, they do now. Like we do now. Like right. we do yeah. now. Because yeah. we know how to. We know how to talk about Come conflict. Come to the table. We would never talk around issues. Yeah. No. no. Never. <laughs> Just think if they yeah. had Facebook yeah. and Instagram. Oh, my gosh. Things, right? But, yeah, because, I mean, that is it. David doesn't have, he, he hasn't done anything, in a sense. 
all he has done is all really good stuff. And all through the story, one of the constants is, at every chance, you know, David maybe could have, you know, taken advantage of Saul's weakness and tried to, you know, make himself more famous and do things to, you know, say, hey, you know, I could start being king now, you know, I, I, surprise, God already said I'm going to be, uh, but he doesn't. You know, all through the story, he doesn't do anything to diminish Saul's authority or reign, you know, and, and that's, I mean, I think something really admirable that isn't always so easy. Right, and even up to this point, he's doing what Saul has commanded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and yet Saul's response is, your successes make me look bad rather than your successes are our successes as right. a kingdom. Yeah, and David isn't, he doesn't know that. He's not aware of the jealousy. He's not aware of Saul's um, disdain for him. And so he is sensing this from Saul, but not getting a clear picture as to why. How, oh, that would just make, that would be drive me nuts. Yeah. And, and make me just desolate in having any motivation to do anything, you know? Well, I don't want you to stay desolate, so. No. Oh, no, it's a new theme song. We got a game show. Okay. Are you ready for the game? Okay. Now, this is a story, this whole thing that we're going to be covering tonight with a lot of death and betrayal and so our game tonight is tell me about that well-known tv character's death okay are you ready okay okay so in the tv show game of thrones oh yeah what (laughs) happens to eddard ned Stark at the end of season one. Spoilers. Pause if you don't want to hear. Yeah. This is years though now, folks. Anyone? It's all you. I have never seen an episode. I've never seen it either. He's beheaded. Yes, correct, Taylor. Taylor. Um, and so, for bonus points, can you name any other characters who die in that show? Yeah. <laughs> All of them? Pretty much everyone. Oh my yeah, gosh, yeah, yes. yeah. I know the author at least. It, it'd be a shorter uh, list to say the ones that don't die in the show. Serious. So, yeah, that is a show full of uh, all kinds of death. Yes. And yeah, poor Ned loses his head at the very end of season one. Oh, and at the end of book one, I'm such a nerd that I read the books before there was a show, and I uh, read you know all these 800 pages thinking that this was a story, this whole series about this guy Ned Stark. Uh huh. Out, they really focus the on him because he gets his head cut off. Oh my gosh! And poor okay. Sean Bean—he's always dying in every movie he's oh, in. Well, <laughs> you know, he's still cashing those royalty checks. Yeah, I think he's niece. doing all right. Okay, so next on the TV show Seinfeld, how did George Costanza's fiance Susan die? You're not a—you're not a fan of Seinfeld, right? Nope. Mm-hmm. Are are you? It's okay. Yeah, he he. I'm a fan of many things. (laughs) Do you know Seinfeld? I don't know anything about Seinfeld. I can't remember. Is it a George was having some uh, second thoughts about the wedding, but uh, he didn't kill her. uh, But he also wasn't too sad when it happened. Can you remember poor Susan? Did she choke on a sandwich? I don't remember. Susan was killed off at the end of the season the result of licking contaminated envelopes as she was preparing their wedding invitation. Oh my gosh. 
Dun, dun, I dun. can't believe I didn't oh. remember that. Right. See, come on. Oh, man. Okay, well. <laughs> we haven't figured it out. We have a nerd in our so midst. So zeros uh, for, for uh, everyone there. Okay, and so now I, I will say the this this next two actually are, are not technically killed, but I thought this question is just too good to, to, to leave be. Who shot JR? Oh, is that another soap opera? It's from Dallas. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. I do know that, but I have no idea. It's been a few years, huh? You remember I all I those ever seen it. suppositions? <laughs> was it Sue Ellen? It was not. No. Well, wait. It was, no, it no, was, it was his sister-in-law then. Um, what was her name? <laughs> the Guys, sheriff? it's been a long time since I've seen it. Oh, my like, gosh. Daryl will love that question. He well, might know. November 21st, 1980, yeah, the episode aired after lots of publicity with that question, who shot JR? But ultimately, the person who pulled the trigger was revealed to be Kristen Shepard. Yeah. Kristen was JR's scheming sister in law and mistress who shot him in a fit of anger. Oh, it's not Christine like Philistine? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. This is the image, though, that I remember. Is It's the hand that comes out of the shadows, right? Yes. Okay, so there's something there, but it's not very Well, good. and likewise, you maybe remember the parody then. The next question, who shot Mr. Burns? Episode of The Simpsons. Simpsons. Oh. That parodied the Dallas episode. Mm-hmm. Who shot Mr. Burns? Ma- uh, Marge. Lisa. No, it was his his secretary, wasn't it? The guy with the glasses? Yes. I can't think of his name. Not Ned? No. Just kidding. <laughs> I, I've never watched yeah. The Simpsons. The love affair guy. He's, he's in love with him. Yes. Well, that would be a good guess. All good guesses. But it was, in fact, none other than Maggie Simpson. Maggie, of the course. Baby. <laughs> the baby. The <laughs> baby. Okay, well, you guys are crushing it. I hope people are it. getting You're these because I'm so, struggling. Uh, I hope you all are doing better than the TV the fans up here. Okay, <laughs> so now this is—I don't know—I don't know how this is going to go. Okay, can you name the character whose death at Seattle Grace Hospital was made all the more sad as his doctor girlfriend Izzy broke the law and cut LVAD wires, but was still unable to save him? This is Grey's Anatomy. Yes. I think it's oh, season two. Oh, another soap opera. Yes. He's very suave. I remember oh, that. Oh, Jeffrey handsome. Dean. Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh, is it McDreamy? No. Oh, no. no this is way, better. Right? Um, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. Denny. His name yes. is Denny. Yes. Oh, I'm a Grey's Anatomy. Ding, ding, yeah. ding. Yes. Yes. Okay, one last question. Uh, can you tell me that well-known TV character's death? On the TV show South Park... Who is the character that is oh. that in the early seasons was killed in nearly every episode and now only dies occasionally? You killed Kenny. <laughs> that Kenny. is correct. Kenny, so thank you all for playing. Tell me about that well-known TV character's death. The game. Well, that is a long name. The, that for... musical score is copyrighted, let's just say. Yes. yes. Okay. Well, um, now that we're all warmed up to the fact that death is just a natural part of life oh when you're gosh. dealing with a soap opera or TV drama or 
for Samuel in the Bible. Um, the story of the drama continues. Uh, and so uh, this story starts out really nice, actually, uh, where David, when he's early on the run, he needs some help. He doesn't have food. He doesn't have any weapons. And so he goes to the priests of Nob. You heard about them in the very compelling reader's theater from earlier in the episode. Uh, and so he goes to these priests of Nob and he asks them uh, for help. Taylor, you want to read us the text from uh, 1 Samuel 21? This is 1 through 6. David came to Nod to the priest Ahimelech. Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? David said to the priest Ahimelech, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, No one must know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what have you at hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. The priest answered David, I have no ordinary bread at hand, only holy bread provided that the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest, Indeed, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is a common journey. How much more today will their their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread except the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord, to be placed by hot bread on the day that it is taken away. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, holy bread is interesting. And, you know, it gets into the the, the question of, like, well, <laughs> have they kept themselves from women? I mean, that's only one part of the whole holy bread issue. And mm-hmm. so, like, that's kind of the test that the priest gives David. But... Um, whether that was true or not, <laughs> that they had kept themselves from women, doesn't really matter because the, the holy bread was, was, uh, was holy. This was the holy bread set apart as a part of the, the worship there and was not to be just eaten for a snack. And so for David and his men to take it was, was an offense to God, and, and, and the priests knew that, David knew that, but... He was in need of help, and so he asked for help, and that's all they had. So they had the choice to give God's anointed king, whether they know he's God's anointed king or not. They, they have the choice to give David nothing or this really special sacred set-apart bread that's really as an offering for God. And um, so they opt to give him the bread. And part of why I think this story is interesting and worth uh, highlighting here is because this story gets mentioned by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' disciples are out on a Sabbath day, and they're picking, they're plucking grain and eating it, and the Pharisees call them out on it and say, Hey, how dare you? Uh, your, your disciples are harvesting grain. They're working on the Sabbath. That is clearly breaking the law. And uh, this is Jesus' response to them. Lisa, you want to read these few verses? This is Matthew uh, chapter 12, uh, 3 through 8. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that, uh, that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, 
for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Yeah. I have a comment on this. Yeah. This is this is really fascinating. Um with uh so I think about my dad growing up. He grew up in Catholic church. He grew up in the church, but he always questioned. And he wasn't he never felt like he was allowed to question. <laughs> and I feel like nowadays there's some questionings of certain rituals or symbols in our lives. Mm-hmm. And and I thought about this when when things were being taught when things are being talked about right now now that days is that yeah, there's some sort of law about this bread. But there's also a deeper meaning to it. You know, I mean, these guys were in need. Jesus yeah. talked about how his disciples were in need of wheat. Right. And yet there was a law. There was a sacred spiritual law, but there was also a deeper meaning in it. And what does he say? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, have you not read in the law of the Sabbath priest? Uh, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And I think that is so important to remember when we get caught up in these details of the idols that we worship, but we forget about the true meaning of it. It's the tension between law and gospel. Yeah. You know, that, that you have these rules, these laws, but what about the hungry? Yeah. And that's kind of what Jesus points out. Jesus, mm-hmm. the gospel, the word made flesh, mm-hmm. you know, comes and says, hey, this, this whole thing that I'm preaching isn't new. Remember way back in 1 Samuel, that story that you know about David uh, going and, and getting the bread from the priests in that story? They didn't deserve it. David and his companions should not have been given that bread, but they were in need. And so the priests understood the difference between fulfilling the letter of the law and grace. Mm-hmm. And that, that grace... Uh, if those two are held up against each other, grace ought to win out. Grace will win out. Right. And this also speaks to, like, the temple reference here is actually the where uh, King Solomon's temple was the dwelling place of God, that God had a physical space that God dwelt in. Yeah. And so to to place the presence was the element that, that was often used as part of the sacrifice, as part of the, the offering and gift before God. Well, it meant that God had this space that God dwells. When Jesus enters the picture, it sort of breaks the temple apart Mm -hmm. and says that we're no longer bound by a physical structure of a church building. We're now God across the globe, across the world, in every home, in every space. Hence the veil of the the veil uh, splitting when he rose from the dead. Yeah. Well, and you know, and that's what Jesus says. There's something greater than the temple right here in front of you. Right. You know, and that's a powerful statement that is going to make those uh, Pharisees pretty mad. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Ultimately, those kind of comments will get Jesus killed. Um, but that's that's the point that he's making: is that the presence of God isn't just in this box in this certain special place that God has been turned loose mm-hmm. um, uh, that God is here in your presence in, in, in me Jesus you know but also then as Jesus leaves and is resurrected you know and will breathe on us the Holy Spirit and say oh yeah no now God's really loose <laughs> what you just said this is kind of what we're experiencing today we are being forced out of our temples right. you know mm-hmm. that, that, that the Holy Spirit is taking us beyond the walls beyond those curtains to bring yeah. Jesus to everybody. It's not just here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you only experience the presence of God in a church? Right. I sure hope not. I because hope not. there's been a whole lot of people ain't been in a church <laughs> uh-huh. for a long time. Mm-hmm. But 
Of course you can experience the, the sure. love and presence of God outside of a church building, and this time has forced us to reckon with that. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus isn't found in a stale wafer, but found in, you know, the sort of abundance, the sense of, of God's presence being bigger and broader than what we can simply contain. Well, and that has been a fun thing about doing online communion and drive-in mm-hmm. communion, you know, yeah. where we say, well, use what you got, you know, that it doesn't have to be the certain kind of pita bread that we use when we're here together at the church or the certain kind of, um, you know, Mogan David wine. Ours isn't Mogan David. I don't know what brand temple. it is, uh, but temple wine, <laughs> you know, um, you know, that what you have, the earthly elements are just one component of that presence of God. That It's that, that word of God and the promise of God's presence, you know, makes it work. <laughs> Crackers, juice, what you got, it works. That that's the presence and love of God. That's beautiful. It's great. I got to confess, I am a man of principle. Like I... I, if, if you don't follow the rules, then you're on my bad side. So I wonder if I would be a Himalach in this. Sure. You know, sure. like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting. Would I be the priest or would I be Jesus? Or, you know, or would I be David? And I, I, I'm a rule follower. I was just telling Lisa that going to college rules, I realized rules made me thrive because there's structure sure. to live within. Sure. Um, but I don't know what I would do in this case, you know? Well, but the priest too, you know, I mean, he asks one question, like, you know, like he sees David and his men, he knows that like, this bread is just for the priest. This is the offering to God. And that after it's removed from the, from the box of God, then they, they replace it with fresh stuff and the, and the priests can eat the leftovers like that. That's it. Like mm-hmm. even the priests aren't supposed to just take it off the thing and eat it. Um, and so yet he's like, well, um, have, have you guys stayed away from women? And David's like, Yo, yeah. <laughs> crosses his fingers, you know, behind his back. Like, yes, guys, right? Yes, of course. Like, you know, I mean, David's already been pro- like, like engaged to you know Saul's daughter. There's this whole thing, um, but uh, so it's like he's kind of like playing along a little bit, but ultimately he sees the need and makes sure that the need is fulfilled, and that's that's what that priest Almolol does. Almolik. Was that a medication? It might have been. It might have been. Wait a second. Was that FDA approved medication? Yeah. If you want to have a good time, check out last week's podcast yeah. for that one. Yeah, we had a good game last week of words I couldn't pronounce. Uh, names of Saul's children as well as FDA approved medication. It's all good. It's all good. Well, um, you know, uh, what's so interesting too in the story then is David not only asked for bread, but ultimately asked for, for a weapon. And I think there's a few interesting things about that. One is that weapon was stored at this place of worship. You know, that it was recognized that, hey, this is a special piece of our people's history now. And so they wrapped it up and, and, and stored it there. You know, it's kind of like a little museum, I guess, or a relic. Um, and, and so then uh, when David asked if there was a sword, um, like, well, all we got is this sword, shrink, and pulls out this enormous giant sword, you know? Um, and and that's what, what David takes and is going to go. And, you know, that's fascinating on so many levels. One, that David certainly wouldn't be large enough to really wield it in any, mm-hmm. like, fruitful way, I wouldn't think. But also, like, the sword of his enemy, now he's kind of taking up. And so now, you know, 
you know, Saul went from fighting one giant to kind of fighting this other giant, David, who isn't a Philistine, isn't his enemy, and yet that's going to be who Saul gets obsessed with pursuing. And so um, as David is the man on the run, or with his band on, band the, on run, the run, <laughs> as they're uh, nice. moving through the countryside, <laughs> what we'll see is these stories uh, after story of David kind of helping people and, you know, doing these selfless acts, and Saul doing very selfish acts and mostly like focusing on uh, getting revenge and killing uh, going after to try to kill David and what we hear in uh, a little later if you want the full kind of cheery like we alluded to in the reader's theater Saul shows up and rains down vengeance on these priests who helped David uh, it's it's First Samuel chapter uh, twenty two. If you want to read the whole cheery story, um, uh, he sends that jerk Doug <laughs> to Doug, go Doug, and, uh, that guy. Uh, and kill all the priests who helped him. Oh, but also the their you know any wives or children who are around. Uh, just it's this nasty and livestock. Like, and livestock. Yeah. I mean everyone, anyone yeah. who was even here when this thing happened. Um, it, it's just it's pointless uh, vengeance, just just unnecessarily violence. And this is a parallel too in the story, right? David defiles the temple by taking the bread and eating it, according to Saul. Yeah. Saul defiles the temple by murdering everybody else. Right. Right. I mean, there's these parallels that follow the story of yeah. of sort of David's doing something that provides for someone else, and Saul's ultimate destruction, and they they become yeah. sort of hand in hand stories. So Jeremy's going to tell us now about one of these stories of uh, David doing good. Yeah, so we're kind of jumping. So if you want to read, I would encourage you to kind of read through the, the four or five chapters we're talking about. Because you see um, the story pick up, David flees the temple and he's on the run. Um, and he goes into this stronghold, this cave in the side of a hill. Um, and what's fascinating about the story, and I, I love this piece of it, Right before we get into kind of the main text we'll talk about here, David, um, as sort of this outlaw, um, fearing for his life, becomes the, the person that everybody runs to. Um, and there's this great text, 1 Samuel 22, 2, um, that talks about who is coming to David. And this will be telling of David's legacy kind of moving forward, that everyone who is in distress and everyone who is in debt and everyone who is disconnected gathered to him, meaning David, and he became captain over them. Those who were with him numbered about 4,000. A big band. Right, <laughs> a, a huge band. band. Yeah. Um, but David draws the people that society has forgotten or wants to forget or outcasts. Mm. And those are the people that become sort of David's allies. And now in this space that he's in, he's really kind of on the outskirts of Gath, which is where Goliath comes from. Um, and we'll see this kind of transitional part of the story where on the outside of, of Saul's kingdom is where David is finding people that want to be around him. The story sounds a little bit like Robin Hood. Sure. No, you know, sure. Because gathering those people together and stealing from the rich, feed right. the poor... Right, and, and David takes care of him. So he becomes a king later on that is for people, yeah. where Saul is really for Saul. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how this kingdom shift goes. And so David learns about this uh, Philistine siege of a city of Keilah. Um, and so David inquires about God. 
um, about whether he should attack or not, and God answers and tells David to go and do so. If you think about it, God doesn't speak to David just before the Goliath story, and God speaks again, jumping into when David shifts his focus from him to others. Um, it's kind of fascinating part of the story, and, da- and God responds, David does. And so David's soldiers are terrified, so David does what David should do, and he asks God again, um, and God says, yeah, you'll be successful in battle. Um, and then it picks up all these kind of crazy plot transitions. Saul says, oh, they're, they're encamped in a city, and they're surrounded by walls. Guess what? That makes an easy target for me to go get David. Um, and so David um, basically says, what do I do with this? Do I run? Are these people going to give me over? Um, and the story shifts back and forth about what do I do here? Um, and it picks up, David flees out of the city for his safety. Saul comes in and says, oh, he's not there anymore, and he just walks away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of that cat and mouse, Tom and Jerry sort of moment yeah. going on there. Crazy. Yeah, which is what kind of, you know, comes next is, you know, David continues to elude, uh, elude Saul in the wilderness. And, and then we come to these uh, couple interesting stories that start in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and uh, again, we, we touched on these in the Reader's Theater as well, um, but they're some just really interesting kind of fascinating stories, kind of examples of, uh, one way to say it would be, you know, Saul's going low trying to kill David, and David goes high. He does not just, you know, kill Saul outright, because David still believes that Saul is God's anointed king, because he was. Like, Saul was anointed to be king, chosen to be the first king of Israel, and yes, David has chosen to be the next king, but he hasn't heard God say, now's the time for you to be king. So he's just, he's king in waiting. And so, um, but we get these two really fascinating stories about uh, Saul uh, and David having a really close run-in that Saul's completely unaware of. So the story goes that David and his men are deep in the cave, and uh, Saul wanders into the cave to relieve himself, the Bible says. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much detail we need to go into with that, but um, uh, apparently, given the context clues, this is probably a twosie, I think we say, um, because Saul is in there for a while, uh, long enough for David to have a conversation with his men, and, and they tell him, oh yeah, go kill the guy. And David's like, well, all right. And so David sneaks up on Saul, who is um, indisposed, yes. uh, gets close enough, uh, and instead of killing him, cuts just a corner of his robe off. And so, and then stealthily sneaks back to his men. And after Saul has finished up, uh, he finds his way back out. And so then uh, David comes and says, Saul, look at this. Look at how close I was. Mm-hmm. I could have killed you, but I didn't. And Saul's like, oh, man, you got me, basically. And, and that's kind of, kind of the end of the exchange. But then it happens again, where uh, then again, uh, David sneaks up. And I don't know, were you going to talk about this one, Jeremy, or the story? I can. You know, basically, he sneaks up. And this time, he takes his water jug and his spear. Uh, he sneaks up and takes, the, takes King Saul's things. And this time, when he again, David holds him up over his head. He's like, hey, Saul, look what I did. I took your stuff. Again, I could have killed you. This time, it inspires some real shame in Saul and almost like Saul almost has kind of a contrite heart like he um, apologizes and and is remorseful for the fact that like oh man I can't believe uh, like 
I was trying to kill you, but here all along, like, you are, uh, you know, like, you're good. Like, you're not trying to kill me. Yeah, we have this great text from 1 Samuel 26, 9 to 12, and I think, Taylor, would you be willing to read that text? Absolutely. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can raise his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him down, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should raise my hand against the Lord's anointed, but now take the spear uh, but now take the spear that is at his head and the water jug, and let us go. So David took the spear that was at Saul's head and the water jug, and they went away. No one saw it or knew it, nor did anyone awake, for they all were uh, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Yeah, I guess I'm fascinated in this part of the text. I think mm. one of the things that I'm finding the most powerful is that is the definition of David's sense of grace. Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of mercy, there's grace, there's forgiveness. I mean, I can't imagine David fearing for his life, running away, and sparing the life of the guy who's trying to take it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and technically, this is a third time. Right. Um, and so this, like, how do we how do we picture what grace looks like, or mercy, or forgiveness in a sense of of how david operates well i think david david knows that he is chosen for something bigger and better than to be a usurper of the throne like to to take the throne by killing saul um that throne is his by rights when the time is right and and so in a sense he's trusting god that that god will tell him when it's time that you know like he says here like I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna kill this guy. You know, he'll die when it's time, or he'll give up the throne when it's time. Um, and you know, I think for us, when we think about that, how we can relate to David, we can think about that in in terms of okay, well, what more have we each been created for? You know, the the, the pettiness and the um, disagreements that sometimes are a part of our life, I think those can be moments for us to recognize, wow, we were created for something more. Like, let's not fall victim to that easy jab or that easy, you know, kind of taking the low road because uh, God's created us and called us to something bigger and better. Mm-hmm. I see God's hand in all of this. Um, if you go back to the cave, have you ever been in a cave? Mm-hmm. It echoes. How do you have 3,000 men? talking about not killing or to go kill Saul without him hearing. And so I like that um, line that just talks about the deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. So God's hand was in all of this, waiting. Because what if they'd had an altercation right outside that cave? Mm -hmm. It would have been different. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't what God wanted. Yeah, I think, you know, it becomes a question of how is God in and active in the world when it doesn't feel like it? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's something we're seeing and witnessing I hate to say it, but turn on the news. I mean, we're just surrounded by things that sort of our pettiness and, and littleness uh, surrounds us with. And I think one of the things that I've taken away from this sort of deeper study is, man, this is mercy, and this is what it really looks like to live a life honoring others, even if I don't agree. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it is. 
it sort of gives a sacred to how I how I see others. Do I, do I see their worth as a created child of God or not? Yeah. Well, when we see God's hand in all of this, and God's hand is here present with us now, and no man can make that go away. We can't take God out of our world. Yeah, and this text kind of ends with this um, verses 24 to 26, 24 and 25. Um, and it says, as your life was precious today in my sight, so in David's sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he rescue me from all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. This is a, a loving end to what has been just an ugly saga. Yeah. Um, you know, this this confrontation, what sparing a life does to the recipient of that life. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we, I mean, there's something powerful in that. And and also the, the reality that sometimes it doesn't take once or twice or even yeah. three times for it to sink in. Right. <laughs> do you remember Goodwill Hunting? Yeah. yeah. When, when, Robin Williams uh, has to repeat one phrase over and over. He knew exactly what he was doing, and Will needed to hear it, but he couldn't hear it at first. And that's what, uh, yeah, that, I, think, I believe that's what happened to Saul, and Saul finally got it. Mr. Thick. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're not so far removed from oh Saul. Oh, my, yes, yeah, gosh. It's a little too familiar. Right. Oh. There, there are these lessons that it's not your fault. Like, you're experiencing something you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that sense of the high road, I love that image of um, you'll take the high road, I'll take the low road kind of a thing. How do we think about each character's, the way they dive or the way they grow? Um, And I think in here, it's sort of Saul's redemption story. Yeah. You know, surely, you know, blessed blessed be you, my son. Mm -hmm. All these successes, all these things, and this is the first time we hear a word of blessing to his kid. Yeah. But you know, throughout this, Saul has a faith. Yeah. He doesn't let go of it. So, I mean, there's something he's, that's ingrained within him, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, he does kind of lose sight of that a little bit. We'll sure. Do, you know, we'll catch that in, in our, um, Saul ultimately... Oh, oops. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> no. no. This is exactly <laughs> it. Because Saul does have this faith and, and he's calling on the voice of the Lord. He's calling on God, you know, this God who anointed him, who chose him to be king, mm-hmm. has supported him through his kingship, you know, calls on God, you know, and so, you know, the Philistine army is getting ready to fight King Saul's army, and Saul is afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Uh, that's uh, chapter 28, verse 5, and that fear and trembling leads him to cry out to God. Mm. God, God does answer. So, so he consults a medium, the medium at Endor, the forest moon of Endor uh, from Return of the <laughs> With Jedi. With the Ewoks? Yes, the Ewoks, <laughs> the um, furry little Philistines who are uh, ready, to, ready to fight the Empire here. Um, well, and so it is Endor, apparently. And so, you know, medium, you know, like you might expect, a, a psychic or, uh, you know, wizardly type person, uh, um, someone who can, you know, maybe through black magic even speak to the dead. Uh, Saul's desperate enough to consult the medium. And, uh, and he does so because God won't answer him. Yeah. I mean, he's asking God for help and God doesn't because God has sort of turned his eye towards him. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's it's kind of it's fascinating. The mediums are the very people that Saul's kingdom sought to rid. Yeah, uh, right. rid of the kingdom. He didn't want him there, so he got rid of him, and then this is the person he consults when God doesn't answer. Yeah. So, you know, chapter 28, verse 6 says, Saul inquired of the Lord, and the Lord did not answer him, not by dreams or by Urim uh, or by the prophets. So then out of desperation, he consults the, the medium. Can you imagine how Saul felt? I mean, think about when you're going through something hard, and you need to talk to your friends. You need to talk to somebody, and you need answers. And, mm-hmm. and I bet he felt very much alone. Mm-hmm. I just don't like that image of the Lord not answering, like the Lord turning mm-hmm. his back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't, that's a, that's a hard one to wrestle with in your mm-hmm. faith. Yeah. You know, that the God that I believe in, will, will that God do that? Right. You know, or is it a matter of interpretation? You know, a lot of time I, I hear about this about prayer, like if you, if you don't hear an answer, that doesn't mean that that's not an answer. It is the answer. You know, like, no answer means something. Right. Well, you have to remember, too, like, the Philistine army is gearing up to attack Saul's kingdom. Saul has been so focused on David, chasing him down, hunting him down, that he has forgotten who the Philistines are in some some ways. Mm -hmm. And so they're gearing up. They have a force big enough to do some damage. And now, all of a sudden, Saul has forgiven David that direction is shifted back to the mm. Philistines. And out of that fear comes a, ooh, what am I supposed to be doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think there's a great question there about what, what's going to happen. Yeah, it's like the pastor who um, didn't prepare a sermon on Sunday morning and said, oh, God will speak to me and God will you know, inspire God's my message. Will, yeah. God's words will flow. And then gets up to the pulpit and just can't think of anything to say. And it's like, God, I thought you would speak through me. And he says, you should have prepared a sermon. You know? <laughs> um, you know. There's a lesson there. <laughs> but um, I think that's kind of it. Uh, God would have happily helped Saul you know, prepare the armies, you know, prepare the defenses. Um, what God wishes for is the good of the people of Israel. Uh, and, and yet um, Saul was actively working against that in pursuing David. Uh, and that ultimately leads to his demise. I mean, so the the army of the Philistines turn around and basically overrun Saul and his and his kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we end of chapter thirty one, start of Second Samuel one, we find that ultimately Saul is killed. Um, his sons are murdered. Her sons are killed, um, and we're left with this kind of uh, what next? Um, and so. Ultimately, Saul's afraid that the, that he's going to be tortured and, and hurt and harmed by the Philistines, so he leans on his own sword and he dies. Um, and we're left with this uh, David who deeply grieves the death of Jonathan, his, his good and best friend, yeah. and this King Saul, this beloved person, despite everything that had happened. And the Philistines, uh, they celebrate, <laughs> um, is what, uh, what they do. They take uh, Saul's body and... Uh, nail it to the walls uh, just to show how powerful they are and um, then comes the story of uh, Jebeth Gilead uh, rescuing uh, the people of Jebeth Gilead uh, rescuing Saul's body and uh, allowing for uh, David to bury Saul give him a proper burial of sorts Um, 
And yeah, and then you know we get into Second Samuel, which is where it really becomes the story. Second Samuel becomes the story of David's kingship, um, which starts with him grieving and mourning. And it's hard to imagine a story like this where all of this has happened to David, and yet David still deeply grieves. Mm-hmm. And yet it can. Like I can see yeah. why he mm-hmm. he goes there. Mm-hmm. The friend, the covenant, the the love essentially that follows that story. Yeah, you know, it's like when you get to the end of a really, I mean, this is the end of the soap opera. This is kind of like Mm -hmm. at least the end of the season, if you will, you know, because next we're going to get into David's kingship. But after all the ups and downs of this kingship of Saul, uh, you get to the end of it, and for all the terrible things he's done, killed innocent people, and, you know, you get to the end, it's like, oh, man, this poor guy, you know? (laughs) Um, he, He dies, and I feel a little sad about that, but... David feels really sad about it. He mm-hmm. grieves deeply. And so um, as the Psalms are wont to do, there are Psalms that speak of grief. And uh, one uh, such Psalm is Psalm 34. And so we don't know when the Psalm was written. Was it written about the grief of uh, Saul's death, Jonathan's death, uh, or um, who knows who? But uh, it's certainly a Psalm about uh, grief and uh, sadness and So let's uh, close with this psalm. I'll read the first verse. This is Psalm 34, 1 to 4. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with, with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money, don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love.